Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. When John and Charles Wesley began meeting in small groups, and this Wesleyan movement would give birth to the Methodist church that would come out of the Anglican tradition, when they started meeting in these small groups, there was one question a person was asked every week, and it was the question, how is it with your soul? Now, I don't know in 25 years of being a minister and 40 years of being a Christian, I don't know that anybody has ever asked that question, how is it with your soul? I think we do a really good job talking to one another about our physical health. You know, our our church is always focused on the hospital list and, and how people's physical health is doing or not doing. I think we're good about talking about relationship issues. You know, how's your mom doing or how's your friendships? You know, do you have plenty of relationships around you? We do a really good job talking about health in those areas, but I don't know that we spend too much time or enough time asking, how is it with your soul? the center of who you are, who you really are, the core of your identity. And so, let me ask that question this morning. How is it with your soul? You know, the U.S. Navy every year will spend $50 million scraping barnacles and algae off the bottom hulls of their ship. Why? And by the way, the the word for that, learned a new word, it's biofowl. I could have a lot of fun with that word. This biofowl that cakes up on the bottom, if, if they don't address it, then they, ultimately the Navy will be slow, it'll be disabled, and pretty soon it will be crippled. Listen, there's a lot of things that cake up on our soul, and unless we give it constant and consistent attention, pretty soon we will be crippled. We will be incapacitated. So, how is it with your soul? The one emotion that Jesus talked about most, in fact, his longest monologue of every human emotion was not about happiness, it was not about anger. His longest monologue was on anxiety. We're starting a new teaching series starting May 15th. Here's a card, we hand them out on Sunday morning, you'll see information online, invite other people to be a part of this. We're going to look at how it is with our soul because many of us have allowed anxiety to cake up and to take over. Listen, I I read a stat this last week that that psychologists are recommending anxiety screening for kids as young as eight. But not only is it eight-year-olds, it's also 18-year-olds who have grown up afraid of everything. And not only is it 18-year-olds, it's it's 80-year-olds that I used to be bold, but now anxiety has become to begin to creep in and take over my life. How is it with your soul? So we're going to look at seven people who got so stressed out, so anxiety-ridden that they asked God to take their lives. Now what's amazing is, and I'm not going to tell you these seven names now, we'll talk about that as we go through this teaching series beginning May 15th, but these are names you're going to recognize. These are not minor characters in the Bible. Every name, if you've read your Bible, you'll know and you'll say, well, I thought these were spiritual giants. Well, they are, but it didn't cause them from having some big problems with their soul, and because they overcame, that's why they're spiritual giants. Not because they didn't have any problems, but because they passed through their problems to the other side. How is it 
with your soul. So between now and May 15th, we're just going to have a little bit of fun. Not that we aren't going to have fun after May 15th, but we're going to take just a couple of weeks and a few of the teachers on our staff are going to talk about their favorite Bible verse, okay? And I'd like to hear from you. If you ever want to drop me an email, just here's my favorite Bible verse and here's why, because it will give some insight to you. My all-time favorite Bible verse is Psalm 31, 14, and 15. I trust you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. Every now and then I'll have a daily favorite Bible verse. I was reading a few weeks ago in Revelation. Revelation 14, 4 says, they followed the lamb wherever he went. And that became my prayer for that day. Jesus, I want to follow you wherever you're going. That's where I'm going. But for this season, for the last several months, my favorite verse has been a verse from Isaiah, Isaiah 42, 16. And again, it's God speaking to his people and it says this, I will lead you by ways, excuse me, I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them. I will make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do, and I will not forsake them. Isaiah 42, verse 16. Now, here's something very important, especially as we read the Older Testament. And we run across a verse like this, we need to make sure that we don't take it out of context, that we don't read our needs into this and to miss its original meaning. Some of you might remember or you've heard, 1963, Peter, Paul, and Mary came out with a number one hit, Puff the Magic Dragon. And it was quickly identified as a children's song that was actually talking about the drug culture in the United States, that Puff was about smoking marijuana, Uh, It talks about uh, Puff the Magic Dragon uh, frolicking in the autumn mist. Well, that would be marijuana smoke, you know. In fact, Newsweek even did a story on how this seemingly innocent song talks about drug culture. But the writer, Peter Yarrow, he said, you know what? When I wrote that song, Puff the Magic Dragon, I was so young and innocent, I had never even heard of drugs before. And he's quoted by saying this, he said, what kind of sick-minded blank would take a children's song and turn it into a song about drugs, you know? Why would somebody write a song like that? And so the whole idea that that song is about the drug culture is completely made up. You see what we've done? It's not the only time we've done that, but it's a pronounced example that we take what's happening in our world and we read something into a song or a writing or a truth that wasn't there to begin with after all. We inflict our meaning onto something that makes it mean something totally different than what it was originally intended to do. If we're not careful, now it's not a big deal if you do that with a song, Puff the Magic Dragon, but it's a very big deal if you do that with the Bible. We have to be careful about reading our agenda back onto what the writers were saying. Let me give you two examples. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Boy, we love that, especially in the prosperity of our Western world. But if you read the whole context, God says, that's going to happen, but first, you're going to face 70 years of exile. So this is not about your personal prosperity. This is about the prosperity of the nation that you might not see it. 
but I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to take care of the people and I'm going to accomplish my plans even while in the short term it's really hard. Here's another example. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We often see that, especially around athletics. I can do everything. You know, I can be a success. That's not what that verse is about. It's about contentment. Paul says, I know what it's like to be incredibly successful. I know what it's like to be unsuccessful. I know what it is to abase and abound. But I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can be content no matter what. It's about contentment, not about success. So we have to be careful when we come across a verse like this. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them. I will make the rough places smooth. This is what I will do and I will not forsake them. We need to be very careful not to take this one verse out of context. So here it is. Isaiah writes this at a time when the world was changing. Assyria, the first major world power, had come in and wiped out the northern nation of Israel. Now they were fading, but Babylon's star was on the rise, and they were eyeballing Judah, where Isaiah lived, and they were about to come in and invade. And it seemed like the bullies on the block were just getting bigger and stronger and more menacing, and there was more in the world to be afraid of. Now with that, you might also know that this part in Isaiah 42, for those of you who've read it before, you know that this is a servant psalm. That this God is speaking to his servant. So who is the servant that God is speaking to? Well, there's a couple of interpretations here and they, they kind of overlap, right? So the original servant of the Lord, I believe, was the nation of Israel. You are my people. You're my servant. Even in difficult places, you're still my servant. Ultimately, as New Testament Christians, though, we see Jesus as being the ultimate fulfillment of that. So he was the servant of the Lord. Servant of the Lord, too, is anybody who decides that they will live their life under God's rule. That was true of the nation of Israel. It's true of Jesus. And these things become true of us if we choose to live under God's kingship. And so this promise applies to us as well. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths... I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them, and I will make the rough places smooth. These things I will do, and I will not forsake them. So in light of that, in light of the times changing, in light of we want to live our lives under God's rule and God's leadership, this truth applies to us. Let's look at now what that means, now that we have that context. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. Here's two problems that we have on the inside of us. First of all, we are blind. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Now, anytime someone is called blind in the Bible, it could mean one of two things. It could mean that they're unwilling to see the truth, Okay, Jesus called the Pharisees in his day blind guides. You're not willing to see the truth. But other times when someone is referred to as blind in the Bible, it's not unwillingness, it's just the inability. In other words, they're not sinning, it's just a fact that 
I'm blind and I don't know where I'm going. Uh, my friend Jim Stovall, he's written a number of books, some of which have been turned into movies. His most popular one is called The Ultimate Gift. Whenever a movie is made based on one of his books, he likes to do a cameo in his movie. And by the way, uh, if you don't know Jim Stovall, he's blind. But he said, when I make a cameo in my movies, I, I never want to play a blind guy, okay? So in one movie, he was a bartender. In one movie, he was a chauffeur. He said, that was really a fun day on the set, right? He didn't want to play a blind guy. That's, he deals with blindness in real life, but he wanted to imagine for a while that he's not blind. Listen, we all like to pretend that we're not blind, but we are. I mean, I think back two years ago when the pandemic was first rolling out, and I remember sitting with a group of leaders and saying, we really need to talk about what happens if we need to shut down for a week or two. I mean, I could not see what was about to happen, that it would be two years later and people would still be removed and quarantined. We just couldn't see it at the time. We were blind, and we still are. Every corner is a blind corner for us. So that's a problem that we face. We're blind. Not only that, along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. So not only do we have the inability to see the future, but we also have the inexperience to be prepared for what is ahead. Inability and inexperience. Now, this right here along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. It's a little overture to the Exodus because the Israelite slaves came out of Egypt. They go into the desert. They've never been there before. And the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night guides them. And here has become one of my quintessential statements that a friend of mine years ago said this, I wish I could remember the exact source he gave me. For the life of me, I can't find it, but it's so good. Darkness about going is light about staying. Take that pillar of fire in the Older Testament. Whenever it would move forward and give the Israelites just enough light to see the next step, they were to move with it. But if that next step was into darkness, they were to wait. So darkness about going is light about staying. But there would be a time to go. When there is just enough light for the next step, you don't need to see the next 20 miles, you just need to see the next couple of yards. And that light about going is light about taking the next step. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. And that's the way God typically works with our inexperience. He doesn't give us the grand sweep. He just lets us see the next step. So. Those are the problems that we face on the inside, our inability and our inexperience. But now here's the problems on the outside. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. So there's a wonderful scene in the Pilgrim's Progress, what I believe to be the greatest work of English literature. It's fantastic. Christian is walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and he goes into this dark forest, and the, the wording here, I'm not going to get it exactly right, but whenever he picked his foot up, he didn't know where that next foot would come down and what it would be a rough place or a smooth place. He couldn't see his feet. He couldn't distinguish his own voice from the voices all around him of these beasts that were in the woods, and even Satan was whispering in his ear, but he heard the voice of God whispering all the way through. 
I, I will be with you even through the valley of the shadow of death. So he gets to the other side of the wood just as the sun is coming up and he turns around and he looks back and he sees all the, the nightmarish creatures in the forest for the first time. Now they're behind him and they can no longer hurt him but he can see the nightmarish creatures. He can also see how narrow and thin the path was and he realizes that as he walked through in darkness, that darkness was actually a grace. Because if it had been light, he would have seen all those creatures. If it had been light, he could see how narrow the footpath was and he would have been overwhelmed. Sometimes we say, God, I wanna understand. No, you don't. <laughs> because if you could see everything clearly, it would probably overwhelm you. Life is overwhelming enough just with what we know can you imagine all the things that we don't know that we will look back when we get to the other side, when we get to eternity, we'll look back, we'll see the razor thin path, we'll see the beast that we walked past, and we'll understand that darkness was actually a grace. So I go on not knowing. I would not if I might. I would rather walk with God in the dark than to go alone in the light. So life can be overwhelming as well. So is there any hope? Is there any hope in all of this? Uh, listen, we, if, we, if we know we are blind, but we struggle with inability, if we know um, that we are on an unfamiliar path, that we deal with our own inexperience, if we know that we face a world that is, is overwhelming, and I could give you a lot of stats, one, one that sticks in my mind, uh, <laughs> the knowledge in our world doubles every 72 days. About every two months, everything we know doubles. And there are new dangers. You know, you know that um, a person is more likely to be killed today taking a selfie than by a shark attack. I mean, there's, there's so many things that, that are self-inflicted wounds on our own souls and our own culture. How do we deal with all this? What I want you to notice in this verse are the verbs used by God about what He's doing. I will lead the blind. You're not alone. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide. You may feel lost, but you're not lost as long as God knows where He's taking you. I will turn the darkness into light. In other words, things will change. They won't always be this bad. They won't always be this challenging. Things will get better as we walk with God. And I will make the rough places smooth, that God actually prepares the path in front of us. And I will not forsake you. The goodness of God to lead to guide, to turn, to make, and he will never forsake. So in college, one of the jobs I did, I was janitor at um, the Little Baptist Student Union building on our campus. And uh, over the course of a Christmas break, the floors really needed to be rewaxed. And so the, the director asked me, say, hey, if you'd like to earn a little extra money, it won't be pleasant, but you can strip the wax off all these floors and you know, uh, you can learn how to apply new, a new layer of wax to these floors and they'll be brand spanking new when all the students come back in January. Needed money, I said yes. So I was successful in stripping all the wax off and then I went to the 
the store to buy new wax, bought a big old five-gallon tub of, of wax, came back and started applying it to the floors. But every time I applied it, it by the time it, it dried or cured, it was all wavy. And so I read up on how to you know, apply wax, and I, I tried another area, and it was all wavy. And I kept thinking it would get better. It just got worse. And I couldn't figure out what I was doing wrong. Finally, I took that whole bucket or what was left of it back to the, the store, the floor store, I guess. Uh, and I said, you know, something about this wax isn't working. And he looked at it and goes, oh, sorry, that's not wax. We gave you soap. So I was taking soap and applying it to this floor. And I said, well, what are we going to do? He said, well, you need to go back and mop up all that soap. You know how hard it is to mop up that much soap on a floor? And I, I worked hard that, uh, that Christmas break. Even though the label on the outside said it was wax, it didn't change the content. The, the, the label on the outside clearly said wax, but on the inside it was soap. Now, I could take this in a number of directions. You know, people identify as different things, and we can change the label on who we are, but it doesn't change the contents. But I'd rather apply this in a more positive way this morning than to say this. Whatever you're labeled as on the outside, maybe you feel blind. Maybe you feel inexperienced. Maybe you feel overwhelmed. It doesn't change the contents that are on the inside. You are a child of God. You, if you choose to be, are a servant of the Lord. And that means you'll never be lost You'll never be alone, and God will never turn his back on you. Don't we need this in uncertain days? So I'd encourage you to take this scripture, put it in your heart. In the days you feel unable, inexperienced, overwhelmed, draw on this truth. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them, and I will make the rough places smooth. These are the things that I will do, and I will not forsake you. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, and may God grant you peace now and forever. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing. And I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.